So this is 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. And we will also read from the book of Romans, chapter 7, which you will find on page 1118 in the Pew Bibles. Romans 7, verses 21 to 23. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone, and it's good to be back here at Knox. Just came back from a spring break holiday, but eager to dive back into this good series that we've begun here at Knox. At Knox, during the season of Lent, we're, we're looking at surveying the most central reality of the Christian faith, namely the cross. For Christians, the crucifixion of Jesus stands planted at the heart of our faith. It is, it is the central defining reality for any Christian. But the question that we wrestle with is what is going on in the cross? What happened when Jesus was pinned to that cross? What was God doing in that event of the cross? It's a, it's a largely a mystery and no theory could ever do it justice. And so instead of theories, what the Bible gives us is a series of images or metaphors, pictures that, that invite us to consider, to ruminate, to, to wonder at what is going on in the cross. None of these word pictures are, are enough by themselves. Some people try to put forward one as opposed to another, but we need to take them all in together to capture, to, to sense, to appreciate the wonder. Because each image, each word picture deepens and, and develops and fills out a greater sense of wonder of what God was doing in the cross. In the past two weeks, we had Pastor Paul and Pastor Nick talk about two of these different images. One was uh, Passover liberation, the sense of liberation um, in the Passover. And then Pastor Nick last week looked at the blood sacrifice. Today, we're looking at the image that Scripture gives us that's captured in two words, ransom and redemption. 
And that word picture comes to us from the marketplace. It's language that actually bankers and financial people still use. They talk about the redemption of financial securities and bonds. But mixed into that marketplace image, this other image of a slave, because ransom or redemption was the cost of a slave being set free at a, some sort of slave auction. So there's two aspects to this image of, of ransom, of what is happening in the cross. There's this, this image of captivity. There's some slavery. A ransom means, first of all, that some party is, is, is being paid for by some cost. There's some kind of prison that this person is in bondage. You only pay a a ransom if someone's in slavery or in bondage of some sort. So there's that, that captivity aspect. And secondly, there's a cost aspect to this. Something of great value is given to spring, to free that person who is in bondage so they can go free. The big idea in this picture is, is the idea of freedom through great cost. Our text today, 1 Peter 1, talks about this. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed or ransomed. Whenever you read the word redeem, it's, it's this word group that means ransom. It was not through silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty wave life handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have been freed from the power of sin at great cost to God. Now when we see words like redemption or ransom, we can sometimes get into a little trouble when we try to press that image to try to make it work all the way down. And with these biblical images, they're not. They're evocative. They're suggestive. Um, but we get into trouble when we try to press the image too deeply because when you think of a ransom, right away the question becomes, well, who's the payment given to? Who's it paid to? And many theologians of the early church saw that problem right away and they named Jesus wasn't paying the father because God is not a jailer. God is not a kidnapper of any sort. He's not a slaveholder. So the payment isn't to God the father. And the payment, the cross is not a payment to the devil. Certainly not because God owes nothing to that thief. Actually, the biblical metaphor reaches back to Exodus where that redemption and ransom, again, is, is the, the redemption of those slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh is not paid, but Pharaoh is plundered. His riches are, are taken from him. The biblical image of ransom um, talks about how God ransoms our life, redeems our life. It focuses us less on a price paid and more on the cost that is borne by God himself. Our salvation comes at great cost to God. Jesus has rescued us from Satan, from sin and death by absorbing the cost, by absorbing our liability of sin. It's, it's like in Christ, God writes off the debt and absorbs the cost himself. It's really important for us to get this right because the, the cross is not some quid pro quo where God agrees you know, to forgive upon receipt of his son's murder. The cross is not some economic transaction whereby God finally gains the capital whereby he can forgive us. Jesus does not save us from God. 
which is where that sometimes can go. Jesus, the cross, reveals God as a savior. What is revealed in the crucifixion is not you know, some monstrous deity who, who requires sacrifice, whether it's a virgin to be thrown into some volcano or a firstborn son nailed to a tree. What's revealed in the cross is the depths of human need and the great depths of the cost that God has borne for us. But a lot of people wonder, why such a bloody cost then? Why all this blood and sacrifice on the cross? Why, why can't God just forgive? Because if someone owes me money, I can forgive them their debt and there's no blood required, right? But there is a cost paid whenever you forgive. The debt doesn't go into thin air, right? Every sin, every injustice is a debt and that means when you forgive, you can only forgive somebody by absorbing the cost of that. There's no way to forgive somebody and have that sin or that debt kind of go into thin air. It doesn't happen. There's never been a sin, never been a debt that was forgiven without at the same moment the forgiver paying, absorbing some cost. And so when people say, you know, I I can forgive you what you owe me, what what they're saying is I'll absorb the cost of this debt. Again, the debt doesn't go into thin air. Now, it gets harder for us to think this through when we think of non-monetary debts, non-monetary things. If someone wrongs you, harms your reputation, inflicts hurt upon you, you you can say, okay, forget it. And you're somehow atoning for that sin. And if you refused to take it out on that person in some way, if you refused to hold that person liable, you're paying for it in some way. You're absorbing the cost, the pain of that. And in the same way, if here on earth, human beings, there's no such thing as forgiveness without some form of payment, how much less can there be forgiveness between God and all creation without some payment? God could not simply say, let there be forgiveness. He couldn't say that. You couldn't just say forget it and the sins sort of go off in the air somewhere. There, there always is payment. The cross of Jesus Christ is what happens when God absorbs the cost of our sin. When God takes on himself the sin, the brokenness of all creation. The cross is God paying the debt of our sin, absorbing it himself. As Jesus said in Mark 10, the Son of Man has not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now just dwell in the beauty, in the joy of that image, of being freed from a debt that you could never pay. One writer, John Ortberg, was participating in graduation ceremonies at a university His daughter was graduating. I think he was going to speak there and uh, at the ceremonies. But he was invited to a a special gathering. There was about 50 people gathered, um, 50 alumni from that university from a class of 50 years prior. And along with those alumni, there were a couple of faculty members. And during that gathering, the presidents of the university called in three students, three students who were graduating that year in those ceremonies. And he told those, uh, the gathering that over the next two years, these three students 
were going to India. And they were going to give their lives in the next two years to serve the poorest of the poor in India. And these three students thought that they were going to be commissioned um, in some form at this gathering, sent out with a blessing. And they were. But then something happened which um, they didn't see coming. During that gathering, the president turned to them and he said, I have a piece of news for you students. There's somebody you don't know, an anonymous donor who is so moved by the calling on your life, so moved by what you're doing, that he has given a gift to this university in your name, on your behalf. And then the president turned to the first student and said, you're forgiven your student debt of 105000 And he turned to the second one. You are forgiven your debt of 70000 Then he turned to the third student. You are forgiven your debt of 130000 And everyone in the room is losing it, right? No one saw this coming. They were just ambushed by this beautiful grace, blown away that somebody who they didn't even know had had paid this debt. The whole room was in tears. It's a beautiful movement. And aren't we moved in some way by that too? Especially all of us here who are students or recent grads who know the burden of student debt. Sort of wishing I was in that room at that time too. <laughs> We're moved by such lavish grace, aren't we? And, and this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Redeemer, He is the one who took on himself our debt on the cross. He absorbed the cost of our sin in his death. He is the one who frees us. The image of ransom is so precious, especially because of the truth it reveals about ourselves. It's a truth that most of us modern people really don't want to believe about ourselves but it's truth nonetheless we need to hear. When the Bible says Jesus has redeemed us, that God has paid a great cost to save us, that means our lives are in some serious trouble. It means we are in far deeper hawk than we ever dared imagine. It means we're captives. We're stuck in some bondage and we're powerless to do anything about it. We're not just people who need a little help. We're held in captivity. We're not people who who just, you know, need a life coach to help make some better decisions. No, we need a ransomer. We need a redeemer. Isn't this the truth about us? Most of the time we're willing to admit that, yeah, okay, you know, we, we sin sometimes. But we don't want to say that we're slaves to it, do we? I find I mostly underestimate my true status. Don't we regularly minimize and trivialize sin? We we often think of sin this way. We think of it, you know, here's sort of this list of things that we shouldn't do. And yeah, you know, occasionally I do some of those bad things. But we don't realize is that sin are, they're, they're not things that go away after we're done doing them. There's a power at work in them. They come, that sin comes and waits for you. And its job is to have you, to 
hold you captive. The Bible says that sin is not just an act that we do. It is a power at work. We think we do sin. Here's the truth. We don't do sin. Sin does you. Sin does you. It is a power, and your sins are not done with you when you think you're done with them. Sin destroys freedom. It has this enslaving power, and more often than not, I I find that's a truth operative in my life. More often than I like, I find myself wondering, what is wrong with me? What, what possibly could lead me to do the things that I, I repeatedly do? What makes me capable of these awful thoughts, these words, these hurtful things that I do? So often I find myself hopelessly trapped inside my worst self and feel like, like I'm helpless to do anything about it. That's what a slave is, Right? Someone who's caught somewhere and does not have the power of agency. Who's powerless to change their circumstances. And don't we experience that in in all sorts of places in our lives? Have you ever tried to stay on a diet or to faithfully work out all the time? Small grade stuff, but we feel it there. Have you ever tried to control your temper and just been unable to rein that in? Have you ever promised... To keep your spending in check? If you resolve at some point to stop judging and criticizing others, but finding yourself almost naturally just doing it. Have, have people told you, would you get over it already and know that you just can't? Have you pledged to never treat your kids, never treat your spouse that way again? And just seeing yourself do it again and again. The Bible says every human being on the face of the earth is a spiritual slave in some way. Romans 7, that very famous passage that we heard read, Paul confesses this profound psychological reality. He says, I have a desire to do what is good. I want to do good. All of us want to do good, right? We sense that desire, yes. But I can't carry it out. So I find in me to be this principle that when I want, most want to do good, evil is right there beside me. And I am sold as a slave under sin. You hear that? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, some spiritual champion talking here. I have found it a principle, he says, that the more I want to do good, the less I'm able to do it. The more I try to do good, the more I see I'm I'm unable, I'm powerless to do what is good. I'm a slave. I'm a captive. And I got to tell you, there is no bigger slave than the person who doesn't know he or she is a slave. All of the 12-step recovery people know this truth. Everyone who has, has seen their life completely overwhelmed by some form of addiction and has walked through the 12-step recovery process, know that the person who says, I have power to handle this, is the most powerless person. And the person who is able to say, oh Lord, I need help. 
I am powerless. That person is finally getting in touch with reality and getting in touch with power for the first time. We are in far more trouble, far deeper hawk than we ever dared imagine. We like to believe we're pretty good people after all, but in reality, we're in chains. We need a power beyond ourselves to rescue us. We need something to free us, to ransom us. And this is the good news of the cross, that Jesus has paid your ransom. In the cross, your life is redeemed. It is bought back. For all of you who know you need help, who know your need to be freed, that is not weakness. That is the power of God at work in your life. The cross of Jesus frees you in a way that the pursuit of sex and success and admiration or love or social justice work will never able to free you for. Whatever is keeping you stuck, the ransom has been paid. The cost of your freedom has been paid in Jesus Christ. You are free to live. In the death of Jesus Christ, God has given his very life for yours. He has paid a great cost to redeem and save this world and your life. The cross of Jesus Christ declares the slate has been wiped clear. All your debts are paid. You are free. You are forgiven. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the power of sin and death. The cross is the truest freedom you will ever know. Look at Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you know for whose sake he is hanging there? For you. For our sake. Because of our sin, because we were caught up in the power of sin, he is sharing our captivity. He is giving his life for ours so we might be free. Let me say it a different way. Let me try it a different way. You have been bought and paid for. Now, mostly when we hear a term like that, we think, that's not good news. That means I'm indebted somehow, right? I've been bought and paid for. I'm not free. I owe someone else. Someone else owns me. But the good news of the gospel is you are bought and paid for by the God of grace who so loves you, who so deeply values your life that he would offer something more precious, more valuable in exchange for your life, which is his. Listen to what Scripture says about the freedom from being bought and sold by Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and let not yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that you are bought and owned by God. To be free. To be your glorious self that God created you to be. To be free to pour out your gifts, your life for the sake of others, to bless others. No longer shackled, trying to to prove yourself. You are free. This is your day, friends. This is your day to know the freedom of the cross. And it doesn't matter how demeaned you feel 
how stuck you feel by your sin, how cheap and worthless you believe your life has become because of all the sin that has dogged and plagued your life, because the cross declares to you that you are so valued and so cherished that the God of the universe who came in Jesus Christ voluntarily offered his life for yours. It does not matter how imprisoned you feel to anger or bitterness or worry and fear because the cross has flung open the doors of those prisons. You are free to forgive. You are free to love. It does not matter how trapped you feel in your very worst self because the cross has set you free from yourself, empowering you to live the life of Jesus. It does not matter how stuck you feel in the treadmill to achieve and accomplish to prove yourself because the the cross speaks a word of God's approval to, to you. It does not matter how overpowered, overwhelmed, how chained down you feel by sin because the cross of Jesus Christ speaks a word of freedom. And it says, your debt is forgiven. You are ransomed, you are redeemed, you are bought and paid for by grace. You are not your own. You belong to your Redeemer. You are free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the wonder, the beauty, the splendor of the cross. God, may we survey the cross. May we look at it from every angle and capture every wonder and beauty of it. God, we thank you for how we have been set free through the ransom, the cost that you have borne on our behalf. God, we realize we are not our own any longer. We are bought and paid for. But most importantly, we belong to you in body and soul, in life and in death to you, Jesus, because you have fully paid for all our sins with your precious blood. You have set us free from the power of the devil. God, would you help us to enjoy that redemption and that freedom that we have? So often we, we walk and live as if we're still in chains, but God, would you help us to rejoice and live and rest in this beautiful freedom and redemption? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.